welcome to this, the inaugural episode of Defeasible Reasoning, Grand Rapids Community College's very own security podcast, broadcasting from the Epic Studios at the Grand Rapids Community College Center for Cybersecurity Studies, 53rd floor of the building. Today, I'm coming to you with a former student, technology professional, security expert, Austin Bollinger, IT security analyst for Grand Rapids Best Community College. Austin, say hello to the nice people and tell them a little about yourself. Hello. As Andrew Rosema mentioned, I'm an IT security analyst here at Grand Rapids Community College, and we have a lovely team of three awesome individuals that look into the regular threats that are coming up, and we're basically doing everything we can to the best of our abilities to mitigate them. Now, the format for this show, A, should include an introduction by the host. I'm Professor Andrew Rosema, <laughs> director-ish of the Grand Rapids Community College Center for Cybersecurity Studies. We should probably put that in the start of the show, huh? He's pretty good, this Austin. He's, he's going to be great at the podcast thing. I don't know if we can say the same for myself. What's your origin story? What's your, what's your superhero beginning? How'd you get into the, the cybers, the hackings? What, what got you kicked off? So I started a long time ago when I was nine years old for Christmas. My mother bought me my first Dell system and it, I think, had less than a gig of RAM. <laughs> anyway, when I started messing around with this game called Unreal Gold, there was a, a whole entire game engine there that was a lot more open to editing. So you could actually start developing custom mods for the game. So in, in developing these custom mods, I found out ways to change the projectiles of these virtual firearms. So when you like click your left mouse, a tree pops out of your... Uh, laser gun or whatnot. And I thought that was really interesting. And I f eventually found a way to make different projectiles come out and like loop it in a way where the whole game would actually crash. So you could bring people into a server, fire your, your fake laser gun, and then it just, the whole game goes off. Anyways, after looking into that at kind of a younger age, I realized that there was essentially some sort of an overflow that was occurring. And later on in life, I realized that potentially if you messed around with that game engine, you could have developed a mod that could have actually probably infected someone's machine by them coming into your server. So games like that where they're fully open to modding can be a little bit dangerous. But moving on from there, after getting really interested into it from the whole game modding scenario, I started getting into communications software. And I realized that the communications software we use is very it's open in a way where obviously everyone is connecting with it so for example skype early on people would make malware spreaders that would automatically send links around or even files and everybody would get infected and my skype's got one of those in it <laughs> so yeah everybody would get infected I, I often recall seeing like russian characters pop up or chinese looking characters and just feel like okay i i definitely am not clicking a link next to a bunch of chinese characters i can't read this and it's probably not safe to click the link then <laughs> so that was kind of the red flag there but it was really interesting though to see from even such a young age how software can spread easily via uh, i guess social platforms because i mean essentially you're interacting with all these users and a huge handful more than a handful an ocean full of people 
don't I think necessarily care as much about security as like a security analyst would, for example. And sometimes when dealing with attacks like that, you really almost need a security analyst to hover over your links that you're going to be clicking on. And actually, we do some phishing campaigns here, or we're starting to get into phishing campaigns. Don't tell. Yeah, we we're not gonna we're not gonna tell everyone about that because I think that's slightly secretive. But pro tip for our listeners, <laughs> yeah. So we are going to be kind of uh, I guess spreading awareness for phishing through campaigns, and we, we have the go ahead for that. Anyway, I guess moving on from just seeing those attacks at a younger age, I got into finding out how those attacks are developed, not necessarily for like malicious purposes, just to better understand those because my system had been infected a few times and I was like, okay, that's a little bit irritating. How did this person make this happen to me? And then how can I better protect myself beyond just an antivirus that doesn't have a signature for something you click on? (laughs) Because, you know, having an antivirus isn't very useful if it's not blocking these attacks that are coming up like zero day type software coming out of Russia, China, wherever. So I ended up getting into some other communications software research and I found that there's some closed source apps and software that has these locked down protocols that are custom developed over on top of TCP. And when you analyze them with like, I guess, protocol analyzer tools, you can actually see that there's ways to, when you're connecting to the server, when you're forging kind of like a request, you can just throw in a different digit or a different number. And that can literally just take a whole server from standing up to just standing straight down. And that's a little bit dangerous because I, I tested all that on my own servers just for security testing purposes. But what's really fascinating about that is some of that also allowed for remote code execution. So you can actually, just by using tools that are out there and pretty much anybody could get their hands on them, you can analyze the way that this protocol is handled with this communication software that's proprietary. And by messing around with it in a way where they don't expect you to, you could actually go out and infect a bunch of servers potentially. Now, I did raise awareness to the specific vendor and they patched it, but it's a little bit dangerous that just anybody could have done that too, not just me. I mean, I was just kind of checking the security of my own server and finding that. And imagine what someone could do if they were not checking the security of their own server. They could have gone out and infected all these servers and then on top of that, maybe you have a million users. So it's a, a little dangerous because if you find a remote code execution in server software and then client software, I mean, now you're basically spreading over to all these servers and all these servers are automatically spreading to all these clients. And that is, uh, I guess, a serious danger in centralized communications software. And even if it is decentralized, it's still kind of all ties back around together from the clients connecting into all these different servers, if that makes sense. It makes sense to me, but then I also think you get a couple of drinks in Austin at a conference, you might get a better origin story than that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying now you're um, also the uh, still on the board for the local chapter of the Grand Rapids ISSA. Yes, that is correct. I I love the GRISSA. The whole board is really wonderful. And I'm planning on becoming the webmaster again because I still have plans to contact the International Association and get a, a custom DNS record applied because I still really want to host my own web server and not have my web server fully controlled by them because 
as a, a security rep, I think that it's really important to ownership your own server so you can really trust what's there. Because at any time, if GoDaddy shared hosting were compromised, hey, I'm sorry that you know, I'm trying to get it elsewhere. If you just check out gr.issa.org, we have information on all of our meetings. So anytime you go there, you can even on the right side, subscribe to notices and we'll automatically send you out to your email when we're having our next information security meeting. There are a couple of other security groups in town. You guys distinguish yourself by willing, being willing to take that sweet, sweet vendor money to pay for snacks, which we always appreciate. Yes, we, we do have the snacks. I know there's also ISC squared and ISACA. Is that how you pronounce it? I-S-A-C-A? Mm-hmm. ISACA. Uh, there's also a um, GRSEC uh, group of the MISEC that is going to start meeting here on campus um, starting in December. Awesome. Well, yeah. maybe when the next election term comes up for GRISSA, maybe I can pull them also to <laughs> this campus. Come on over and do a little voting. Yeah. Man, he's stuffing the ballots already. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> Hacker and political expert. <laughs> We'd like to talk about what's going on in your world and what's kind of captured your interest recently. And you said it was something about clippo hacking or crypto tacking. What was it that you were so interested in these days? Yeah, crypto jacking. Crypto jacking is essentially when an attacker, instead of going into a server and doing more malicious knocking server sideways type of attacks, they're actually using the resources on a compromised system to mine a cryptocurrency, for example, Bitcoin or others. And they're making money off your resources. I think Monero, right, is the one that's popular in this space. Yeah, exactly. As opposed to um, Bitcoin, which has got some downside to it from the attacker's perspective. Bitcoin um, keeps a record of everything and is designed to be very public. So even though I'm anonymous in the sense that I don't have my name attached to a transaction, my public key is attached to a transaction. So the feds and folks can keep an eye on that. Where Monero was designed with sort of privacy in mind, letting the bad guys hide who they are. One of the things that interests me about these kind of attacks, and you tell me if this is something you've noticed, is there was a, and this is like as I was getting out of industry and into academia, there was a attempt to monetize malware by the bad guys by using um, crypto locker type stuff, things that would lock up your systems. And I think this is an interesting approach to a change to that, whereas as opposed to extorting money from people, hey, if if you want my key to unlock all of your files, give me you know half a Bitcoin or whatever, to basically stealing what you're, you're stealing my electricity and my processing power on my computer in order to mine cryptocurrency, probably Monero. So, what do you, when do you think that switched? Like when do you think it? became like this is probably an economics question when do you think it became more lucrative to to mine steal the hardware and, and electricity than to lock up somebody's system and hope for the best so i think what happened is the attackers after having a bunch of different compromises and actually installing ransomware infecting systems eventually from them asking so many different organizations to pay up so many places decided not to pay up and, and to wait until for example maybe some of the cryptography was broken and then these antivirus or, or more cybersecurity solutions companies would come in and deliver a, 
an appropriate incident response by reversing any cryptography that you could by cracking the cryptography, essentially. And in cases where that's not the case, there's backups. So I think more companies were choosing to go with backups or some sort of a good incident response. And from these high-paying targets that would be high-paying targets, instead of wasting you know, 10,000, 50,000, whatever the ridiculous demand was, they decided to go with a cybersecurity solutions company. And from so many attackers realizing that the, the pay up or the, the payoff, I guess, of these attacks was not going their way, they decided instead of just demanding a ransom, just to start hiding on these systems that are compromised and mining. So there's just, I think, a higher pay payoff on that. And they decide maybe it kind of can hide in there and uh, longer term residual income from all of these compromises just makes more sense to the attacker, I believe. Right. And then I'm reminded of the story of the city of Atlanta who had a uh, ransomware attack that got all of their systems. The attackers wanted $52,000-ish in Bitcoin. Atlanta winds up spending $2.6 million in incident response, uh, I guess, you can justify that response. You're saying, yeah, I guess we're just not going to pay you guys. So there, if you're, if you're interested in this topic, um, there is an excellent radio lab where they interview a woman who had her entire life basically, um, encrypted. And, uh, they, uh, they talk about the process of trying to teach someone who's not technically savvy, the whole ins and outs of how to get a Bitcoin. Like, cause that's a non-trivial thing for, you know, my stepdad, you know, probably couldn't pull it off. And this, uh, woman had to find one of the only Bitcoin, um, vending machines that were out there. They set up ATMs for these things in major cities and try and get a Bitcoin. And then she went to pay the attackers and the attackers, um, the, the price of Bitcoin had shifted since she bought it so now she had like slightly less than what the ransom was the uh happy ending to that if i remember correctly was that they paid off they, they gave her the decryption keys despite the fact that she couldn't quite afford it because she was also um from the same um region spoke the same language natively as the as the actual attackers did so you do save yourself that whole trouble of creating an entire like customer support infrastructure to go along with your malware it looks like there's an episode on Radiolab called Dark Code from 2015 that involves uh, a Bitcoin uh, ransom. Yeah. That was the one. Is that, that the one? one. Mm -hmm. Man, mined like a steel trap. Just closed <laughs> right around 2015. Hasn't opened ever since. So there's a shout out to a slightly less successful podcast out of the, <laughs> out of the rookies at WNYC Studios. Exactly. Those guys barely know what they're doing. So another thing, too, that is really interesting about the shift is instead of going out and compromising or infect systems, I've noticed that there's emails being generated from database leaks. So, for example, if MySpace has been compromised a while back, there's attackers now that are going out onto the dark web and purchasing these database dumps or leaks, whatever you want to call them, and they'll pull up the passwords, like they'll find the, the cracked passwords along with the emails, and they'll generate an email and just mass mail out everyone inside these database leaks and say, hey, here's your email, this is your password you have used, I have access to a bunch of personal pictures you don't want to be exposed, I'm going to go ahead and release all of these unless you pay 
this amount of Bitcoin. Now, don't go out and do this because that would be very illegal. But this is kind of how I think ransomware is shifting in that aspect is now you don't so much have to stand up like Rosma mentioned a whole support system. You just literally send off all these emails and put an address in there for payment. People are kind of scared that you're going to release personal information or pictures or whatever. And so you basically pay up like in a blackmail type scenario. The, the one that a colleague of mine from the broadcast industry sent me, um, and he kind of had a, a like, why are we all getting this email telling us to be aware of this? So they were getting the, you need to worry about this. But it basically said, um, in not particularly well-written English, that we have malware on your phone, and we've been taking pictures of what you do with your phone. You horrible, horrible person. <laughs> Send us money or else. <laughs> And uh, those breaches Austin's talking about are generally a guy named Troy Hunt will generally get his hand on those breaches through means that we don't need to worry about. Let's just say he gets his hands on them. And as public service, he likes to get, uh, he has a website called Have I Been Pwned? This is hacker spelling right here. It's P-W-N-E-D, Have I Been Pwned? And if you throw um, your email address in there, we, the security professionals in your head right now, assure you correct correct we assure you that this is a legitimate website um that um keeps track of those breaches so if i put in my old once upon a time i had a drew at wxmi.com email address and oh no it's pwned and it was in a breach that adobe had and it was in a breach that was in the b2b usa business which was basically a list of people they were spamming and I know that if that's the case, boy, it's probably a good idea for me to uh, change the password on that thing. Could you talk, Austin, about uh, what might be, what the importance might be of a password manager in this kind of situation that, that Drew's talking about um, as, a, as a tactic to battle um, potential breaches? Yeah, certainly. When you use a password manager, for example, I especially prefer LastPass. Keep in mind that any time that you check the box to remember me inside of your browser, like the Chrome extension, for example, it's actually going to store your saved, like logged in session there on the machine. So if you're using a LastPass as a password manager, make sure to keep that box unchecked. I believe it is by default unchecked. And in that case, so essentially what you can do with a password manager is go through and you can change all your passwords rather quickly. Whereas if you have 20 different accounts and you have like a notepad and you have all the stuff all over the place, you're going to be running around with your paper trying to unlock drawers and just go crazy. Uh, a password manager just makes all of your passwords able to be changed a lot quicker and kind of go through in more of a systematic process. But also you can use different passwords randomly generated for each account. That way when you get this one account compromised, now you only have to go to, for example, in this case, if uh, like Drew mentioned, or Rose, Mr. Rosma mentioned, I don't know. Like, you could yeah. even call me Professor. Okay, <laughs> You're professor. technically not my student right now, so yeah. you don't have to do Okay, that. well, Professor Rosma mentioned, have I been pwned? They actually have a, a lovely API. You can automatically script it and call, have I been pwned, via the API, and it'll immediately notify you. So you could, for example, even create like an auto script type thing, where it's automatically calling this database every week or so, just to know, hey, when have the attackers gotten my information. I think I've shared uh, the image I'm going to talk about 
in the past, but I was at a hacker conference over the summer in DC and it was a lot of uh, Department of Defense and military folk because it was in uh, Crystal City. And I've got this great picture of some gentleman's super secure military laptop with his military DOD card in one side and his YubiKey in the other. And he's out in the hallway with his phone taking a call. So I'm a big believer that your phone is a great place, particularly if you don't want to have to carry around a YubiKey or that sort of thing to, uh, to get this done. It is Cybersecurity Awareness Month, so I'm glad that we have brought these topics to people's attention. So everybody go out and check your, um, check your email address, see if you've been pwned, and uh, pick a great password manager. I, I, uh, I'm with Austin on this one. I happen to use LastPass, but there are other great ones out there um, that do the same thing. Austin, you got anything you want to log roll for? How do we see you on the socials? You got anything coming up you want the peoples to know about? I keep my social media kind of a little bit locked down. I don't exactly have like a, a personal it's nickname. Top secret. <laughs> yeah, it's it's top secret area fifty one stuff. Gotcha. He's super <laughs> secret hacker. I'm uh I'm super public hacker because if I needed an alias, I wouldn't freaking put it on my social media. So I'm uh I'm on the LinkedIn's in Drew Rosema. Uh, the Grand Rapids Community College Center for Cybersecurity Studies is at grcc.edu forward slash grc4s2. Figure that one out. All right. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Noah, for being an amazing engineer for us. And thank you, Austin, for taking time out of your day to come in and holla at us. If anyone needs to contact me for whatever reason, it's just Austin Bollinger at grcc.edu. Spell that last name. just to be It's B-O-L-L-I-N-G-E-R. All right. Job offers. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. is produced at the Epic Studios of Grand Rapids Community College Media Technologies Department. Epically executive produced by Noah D. Smith and hosted by me, Drew Rosen.